What's up, watch fam, and welcome to episode 21 of the Rico's Watches podcast. I'm your host, Eric, and I'm here today with John from Watch Gauge. How's it going, man? Fantastic. How you doing, Eric? Good, man. Thanks so much for coming on the show and taking the time to chat with me. Uh, you are one of the largest retailers for micro brands in the United States. Is that correct? I believe so. Yeah, that's... Yeah, I think I think I think I can say that's a title. Yeah, that's unbelievable and and so cool to specialize in that niche of the community and that niche of the market. Something that's so yeah. different from what a lot of other uh, brands and retailers are doing right now. Yeah, um, I it, you know it's kind of like a one of those situations where it's the right place at the right time uh, mm-hmm. for me, you know, and uh, it, it kind of all happened very organically. So yeah. And I'm, I'm super thankful because, you know, as we spoke off camera, this is my full-time gig. Um, you know, my office is a half a mile from my house and I've got all free, all the freedom in the world and I get to, I get to sell cool stuff. So uh, I'm super blessed, super blessed. That's really cool. I really want to hear about your journey and we want to dive into that. But before we do that, uh, I want to just know, what are you wearing on the wrist today? Uh, I'm wearing my Alsta Nato Scaf, uh, super automatic, aka the uh, the Jaws watch. That's beautiful. I know when I had the chance to uh, talk with Angus and kind of get into some of the design work and the history of the piece, it was absolutely fascinating how yeah. much goes into that watch. It's, it's a beautiful, beautiful watch. And do you recently were you selling or retailing the uh, 50th anniversary model? Yeah. As, well? as a matter of fact, I still have a few left, not many. So yeah, they did that 50th anniversary piece, uh, you know, uh, to celebrate the 50th anniversary of the of the model and um yeah i think i think in the united states i think we're getting less than 20 of them and if i'm not mistaken i've got about four left yeah unbelievable that's such a cool piece as well too and that's that's the one that has like the swiss movement and and it's like the gilt tile yeah yeah beautiful beautiful watch absolutely today i'm wearing the uh tudor pelagos sort of my uh go-to piece when i'm uh when I'm on the show, yeah. I, uh, I, 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 the only micro brand that I have right now in the collection is, uh, my brew retromatic. Very but, cool. Uh, yeah. It's, it's a cool piece. John's a great guy. He did. I was just going to say, I really, I'm a big fan of John. I love his designs. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm, I'm fully behind him and his brand for sure. Yeah. He was really cool to have on the show as well too. And, and just the amount of work and thought that he puts into it is, is unbelievable. He, he absolutely he's, a, he's an ultra smart dude, right? He is. Yeah. Yeah. And a one-man show and a one-man operation does it all himself, which is completely just unbelievable, the amount of work that man does. So Yeah. For sure. Um, so really quickly, before we kind of dive into Watch Gauge and what Watch Gauge is all about, can you kind of lay out a little bit of your history in the watch industry? Talk about yeah, what got I mean, you started into the hobby and, and what you enjoy so much about it? Yeah, I'll try to keep it sort of brief. Um, you know, I, I entered the watch industry in the late part of 1999. Uh, I, before that, I was in the tech industry. And um, I can't say I fell in love with watches in the tech industry, but I realized that all of like the big wigs in my company were wearing nice watches. So I bought myself a Tag Heuer and I thought, you know, I, in my early 20s and I thought I was like the king of the world. Right. Uh, it happened to be a quartz piece. I, I didn't even know the difference between a mechanical and a quartz. Um I, I was living in Manhattan at the time. I grew up on Long Island, pretty far out uh, in Suffolk County. And I had, was out for a weekend. I went to like a, a barbecue. It was like Memorial Day or whatever. And, you know, a couple dozen people. And I ran into a guy named Steve Butler. Steve was the president of Chrono Swiss USA. And we were just bantering. And he, know, he, you know, he made a reference to my tag hoard that I was wearing. And, you know, when I was telling him, I really enjoy watches. I don't really know much about them. And 
so he was showing me he was wearing a chronoswiss opus which is a skeletonized chronograph and uh and i was blown away um you know you could see all the mechanisms and things like that and again i didn't know the difference between that and my silly battery watch at the time and a couple of weeks later he called me and said look you know i really enjoyed our talk and i'm looking for somebody to join my company would you be interested and and to be honest i really wasn't i was doing really well in manhattan at the time and you know, uh, my future with the company I was with looked very bright. And over the course of a few months, he kind of coerced me into coming to work for him. And I ended up running, I ended up running Chronoswiss USA. Uh, you know, so I did that for a few years. At that time, the internet was, existed, but it wasn't a place for watches, right? Like the Swiss mm. watch industry is, you know, even to this day is very behind the times on most things. Um, and they, you know, you couldn't find much on the internet. So basically I called all the magazine companies. I got on their comp list. I called all the brands and got catalogs. And I just, I really dove in head first in, in, in self teaching um, about watches, the histories, the brands and things like that. And, uh, and I loved it. I mean, I really genuinely loved it. So I ran the brand for a few years and uh, I was traveling a lot, like 45 weeks a year, Monday to Friday. And, you know, that can get old really quick. So when I met my wife, we started dating, we got engaged. At that point, I was like, you know, I need to get off the road. And um, one of my clients was the highest end, one of the highest end retailers here uh, in New York. And he asked me if I'd come run his watch department. So I ended up going there. I ended up managing the store for probably almost 14 years. Um, sorry, this is a long story. I'm old. No, um, please continue. So, so. But I've always had that bug in me to like run my own business. I always wanted to be an entrepreneur. Like I didn't come from a family of entrepreneurs. So I didn't really, you know, I didn't have the, you know, anybody teaching me. I didn't watch somebody, you know, while I was growing up doing that. So it was, I, I was pretty fearful. And, um, you know, my wife knew I always wanted to do something of that nature. And, you know, I started getting into my early 40s. And my wife said, you know, if you don't do it, you know, you're never going to do it. And at that point, I kind of really just uh, held my nose and jumped in, man. It was, uh, it was, it was a scary, scary time. I had a tech startup for the watch industry, which was pretty successful, but it was unsuccessful in the, in the respect that it, I couldn't monetize. It was very difficult to monetize. So um, at that time, when I was trying to get that business off the ground, I started buying micro brands for myself because that's really what was in my uh, wheelhouse as far as what I could afford. And um and I fell in love with a bunch of micro brands and I started doing some research and started looking at the forums and a bunch of things. And I realized there really wasn't any place online that really focused on selling micro brands and promoting them. And so I reached out to a couple of the brands that I, you know, I'd purchased their watches. Uh, NTH was one of them and, uh, and a few others, Boulder. And I kind of pitched them the idea on watch gauge on having a, a, a retail store that also was kind of involved, you know, heavily involved with social media, right? Because, you know, we do a lot on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube, and um, they love the idea. So I got to work on building the site and gathering up some brands and investing some money. And that was, uh, I launched the site, I launched Watch Gauge on September 1st of 2017. And uh, here we are, you know, three and a half years later, and thank God, knock on wood, everything's great. So that's outstanding. What an incredible journey and so much knowledge and experience that you picked up along the way that kind of led you into doing what you're doing now. Right. Yeah. And it's, it was fun the whole way through, you know, it's still fun. And I, I, I tell people a lot, you know, I mean, 
I don't deal with people's health or their finances or anything crazy like that. I don't have an employer or employees to drive me nuts. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm just super blessed in that respect. And, and it's, it's, it's a project of passion. I mean, I'm still in love with the high end stuff. You know, I used to sell watches like Audemars and Harry Winston and all that kind of crazy stuff. And, um, still in love with all that stuff, but it just so happens. I find it more fun to make my living, uh, doing what I'm doing now. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And, and what do you find, I guess, so enticing in particular about micro brands and then the community surrounding them? You know, I worked with and for the big brands for a very long time. And I've dealt with the with Reachmont and Swatch Group and, you know, you name it, like all these big brands, I, you know, and back when I started, it was a people business, right? Like, you're, you're like in retail, my sales reps would come in, they'd engage with the staff and they do trainings and tell us about the new product. And it was very personal. And later on in that retail career, it became a lot less like that. It was more number crunching, right? Like, so the reps would come in and they had to get in and out in a certain amount of time. And all they did was take inventory and tell us what we had to order. And it just wasn't as fun of an atmosphere dealing with the industry people as it was early on. I mean, early on, they'd come in, we'd go out to dinner or whatever it may be. And it was just a very people-oriented business when I started, where it wasn't when I left. And I find the microbrand community is a very engaging, uh, very personable space. My favorite part about it, I mean, I love watches. I mean, I, I've got watches tattooed on my, like, mm -hmm. all over. I love watches. What I really love about the watch industry is the people. And, you know, dealing with micro brand owners, dealing with people who buy micro brands and everything in between, you know, everybody's willing to help each other. Everybody is, is interested in engaging. And, you know, all aside from like the internet drama on some of the Facebook groups and things like that, everybody's fantastic. You know, look at like you and I talking, we don't, you know, we kind of just met recently and, you know, but I could tell that you and I would love hanging out and drinking a couple of beers together on a weekend or something because, sure. you know, there's this camaraderie and the passion uh, between, be, be behind the hobby. I mean, some of my best friends I met through watches mm -hmm. and we, a lot of us come from very different backgrounds and I couldn't be closer with them. And there's no way that would have happened without, you know, watches. And I think the, I think the micro brand community really embodies that. And I love it. Mm -hmm. I think like there's a, there's a sense of, you know, camaraderie that comes with the watch community where I, I always talk to my wife about this. It's like, since I've started doing the show and I really started engaging in the community, you know, I feel like I could land in any major city in the world and I'd have someone to go for a beer with. million yeah. percent. Right. A million percent. You know, it's uh, obviously this has been a crazy year, mm -hmm. um, but I've got friends literally all over the globe from the watch industry. And the one, the one event every year I always looked forward to was the Basel show. Mm -hmm. uh, there were times I went to Basel with absolutely no reason to go business wise, but that's the one time a year I would reconnect with my friends from Australia or Asia somewhere or Europe or South America or things like that. And you're absolutely right. Like if I was going to, to like, I don't know, the Netherlands tomorrow, I can make three phone calls and have a place to sleep and somebody to hang out with. 
Mm. And it's, it's just, it's just, it's just such a strange, like, it's almost like a secret, uh, like a secret order of some <laughs> kind. Uh, yeah, exactly. It's like a, a secret fraternity of just, Wait. of just watch dudes across the world. And you just, you just instantly right. have that. You just instantly have that ticket into whatever you need, whenever you need it, wherever you need it. And it's so yeah, cool. We should have an, we should have a secret handshake and, and some sort of, uh, you know, decoder ring or something. So there like we know go. who each other are. Right. There you go. There you go. Perfect. Um, so when you actually got into starting watch gauge, what actually, what led you to pick the name watch gauge in particular? Uh, funny story. So, so when I left retail and I started that, that tech startup for the watch industry, um, we work, it, it was actually my, a, a good friend of mine and I doing that and we were working hard at it. And, and, um, oddly for some reason we started a blog, like an online watch blog, you know, like a mini kind of quill and pad or hodinky or a blog to watch kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Um, and our theory behind it was kind of like coming from the layperson, coming from the regular guy's perspective, as opposed to being the press or, you know, being very, uh, polished about everything. We kind of blogged about funny stories about watch industry. We kind of poke fun at some of the brands and things like that. But when we started that blog, you know, I don't know if any, you know, if, if anybody here is ever like watching this, has ever tried to like start a website, the first 40 names you think of are already taken as far as domains are concerned, right? So we writing down dozens and dozens of names and one of the names we wrote down was Watch Gauge and then the theory behind the name was like keeping your thumb on the pulse of the industry sort of kind of thing. So we blogged for maybe a year and uh, about a year and a half to, or two years prior to launching watch gauge, my store, we kind of, we realized that, you know, putting out one or two blogs every day or so was a lot of work mm -hmm. and we were doing it as a hobby. So it didn't make a ton of sense for us to spend that energy. So we did it for about a year, a little over. And, and we, we decided it just wasn't worth the effort because it really was just for fun. So we kept the domain name, but there was nothing there. So when I was launching watch gauge, the first thing I thought of was, well, gee, what am I going to name this company? And, you know, it didn't take long for me to realize that every cool name that I could think of was, uh, was taken. And I was like, heck, I already own the domain. It's already got, you know, some credibility amongst Google. And uh, I'm just going to use the name watch gauge, you know, and uh, it's really funny because I'm from Long Island, born and raised. I still live here. And my first thought is, well, I would call Long Island Watch if Mark didn't already own that name. You know, and Mark, Mark from Long Island Watch and I are good friends. So, but that's the first thing I thought of. It's like if 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 any other circumstances were to arise, that that's what I would name it, you know. And uh, but Mark already had that name, so and he's doing a fantastic job with his site. Definitely. That's, that's a really cool kind of, I mean, it, it kind of gives more of an insight into what goes on behind the scenes between like, or for, 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 for people that are trying to start, you know, something new in the industry is really navigating through, you know, what, what's already taken, what, what sort of is still available. And then also, you know, just uh, trying to do something original, but I mean, the big thing with anything like this is you need to be catchy. You need to be, you need to be memorable, like something memorable, right. memorable, right? So it's something that people will come back to and will say, oh yeah, I've heard of them before, right? Yeah. Um, and then, you know, then the other thing is too, is, and, and it's, it's funny because sometimes people fail at this. They have to actually thoroughly research. Like if they come up with a name, the domain's available, they actually have to thoroughly research that name because you know, you don't know what might be associated to that particular name, right? Like, I'll never forget when I was running the watch store and the jewelry store, it was it was a watch and jewelry store combination thing. And 
we dealt with Scott K bridal, which is one of the biggest names in bridal jewelry. Right. Mm. And, uh, the, the vice president and our sales rep came in to give a presentation on this brand new, uh, collection of, of bridal jewelry they're doing. And they named it heaven's gate. Right. And they're, they're telling us all about it and the design. And I'm sitting there going, I've heard this word. I've heard, I've heard heaven's gate. So I'd like, excuse myself. I went over to the computer. I'm like, heaven's gate. It turned out it was like one of those occults that like they all committed uh, mass suicide together because oh, they no. thought like, you know, aliens were coming to, to get them or something like that. And I kind of just like walked back over. I go, have you guys researched the name heaven's gate? And they're like, what do you mean? And I just, I don't know. So, but I have a good buddy of mine who, uh, who, who had a, a prototype of a watch made and started, had the logo done and, and a bunch of things. And he, he called it device V I C E mm-hmm. beautiful watches he made and great designs. And I was like, well, gee, Chris, I'm like, if anybody types in vice, that's like, you're going to get the vice, the television network, you know, like that's, I don't, I, I, you know, for, for Google rankings and for searchability and things like that, I, I think people, it's hard to find a name. It's hard to find a, a domain and things like that. So yeah, it's, it's a lot more daunting than any, you know, anybody would think unless they try to start up their own site or business. And, and of course I didn't realize that until, you know, I started my own business, but it's, it's, it's just a small, interesting facet of, of starting your own company or website or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then kind of navigating through all that. And then I suppose like now you're probably an expert in all that stuff, you know, everything you have to kind of think about and look for and, and kind of anticipate ahead of time whenever you're doing something new. Right. Yeah. I think, I think expert might be a strong word, but yeah, I mean, I'm, uh, yeah, uh, everything I've done with watch, it is really what I find personally interesting is everything, absolutely everything I've done with watch gauge. Now, like I'm a, I'm a one man show. I, you know, I don't really outsource much. I don't have any employees. Um, I've had to learn how to build websites. I've had to learn how to shoot video, edit video, upload stuff to YouTube, build social media uh, accounts. I mean, everything I've had to do for watch gauge, I taught myself and um it's really kind of crazy because before I started watch gauge, I was never on Facebook, never on Instagram, never on YouTube. I like, I'm like the most anti-social media guy in the world when it comes to personally, or at least I was. And then when I launched watch gauge, I'm like, well, gee, I don't have a million dollars to put into advertising and I'm not a marketing guru. So I get, I have to figure out this social media stuff like really fast. Mm-hmm. And, um, if I were to go back and look at some of my old videos that I did for YouTube, I'd probably just like cringe. I'd, I'd probably pull them off the off of YouTube because I'd be so embarrassed. Um, but I think there's also something to be said about the genuineness of, of what may or may not be up there. Um, because really, I start, when I started, I had my iPhone. And I, I, my first video I shot in this room, I had my iPhone on a stand. I walked over, I pressed record and I stood back and like, I was like, I had a, I had like almost not a script, but like a guideline, a bullet list. And I was like, it was awful. I was reading. I mean, it was just awful. So, you know, you learn a lot and it's been really, really fun. And uh, what's, what's really kind of cool now is I love working with people or talking to people and helping guide them into going through the things I had to learn, you know, Mm because I didn't have that. Well, it's great to be, it's great to be able to give back that knowledge and experience into the community. And I think the community also like, you know, you're kind of touching on again, like sort of that authenticity of some of your early videos and your videos now. Right. I think that like people, um, 
people really appreciate people from within the community driving the content that we consume. And they also appreciate that not overly commercialized, overly prepackaged uh, style of, of content as well, too. You know, I mean, there's all we always want to drive to improve and, and present something that's better. Sure. But, but sure. the, the personalities and the people behind the brands, like as long as those are authentic and, and respectful towards the community and the people in it, I think that that's, that's where people really like to uh, lend their support. You know, even, yeah. even, even going back 100%. to my first couple, uh, my first couple of, of videos and my first couple of episodes, I definitely see points where I could um, polish my technique a little bit more, right? So, you know, I, I, I appreciate the non-polishedness of, of anything, to be honest with you. Mm. I think it's, it's like anything else, right? Like if I need a new, if I need new tires for my car, I might drive two towns over. Cause I know the guy that owns that tire shop and he's friendly and he's got a family and he's fair with his prices and trust. Like I always felt when I was starting launch cage and even right through to today, I'm not a guy that's got, you know, I don't, I'm, I'm not like the guy on Instagram with a Ferrari and a private jet and the glass of champagne. I'm like a pickup truck and beer kind of guy. And, you know, Hopefully, I, I, I try to give people the feeling that they're buying from somebody that they might enjoy hanging out with. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? Like, you know, it's it's just the way I feel. Um, and it served me well enough uh, at this point. I think um, I've gone for years. I've gone to many of these watch events where there's suits and, you know, the guys are wearing two thousand dollar belts and three thousand dollar shoes. And that's just never been me. Mm -mm. Um, I've had to kind of play that part a little bit in my past career, you know, and it just, it was something I always detested, right? Like, you know, I, I'd get in my car after an event, I'd be pulling the tie off. I'd be opening, you know, taking my dress shirt off and like, you know, it's just me. I'm, you know, throwing sneakers on, throwing my shoes in the back seat while I'm throwing on, you know, a pair of running shoes. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, and that's just me and hope like, I, I, I just feel like people, if people like, when I started watch gauge, I mean, not to make this too long, but when I started watch gauge, you have to realize I sold in person for 14, 15 or 16 years or whatever it was. It's very easy to interact in a personal level, right? When you're selling something online, people don't know you, people don't have a sense of comfort or a sense of, I mean, I know when I go to Amazon, I don't, I don't know who's packing it up and I can care less who's benefiting from the purchase, right? I know that anybody can go anywhere to buy a watch. But through YouTube, Instagram and things like that, I, I hope people get a sense of who they're buying from the fact that I'll stand behind them and that I'm passionate about what they're passionate about. I just feel as a business sense for me, that makes most sense. And that's what I, I hope people feel. Mm -hmm. Well, there's something to be said just for that authenticity and just being like a real person, you know, like, again, like we're, we're you know, if we want to see that, you know, the guys with the $2,000 belts and the $3,000 shoes and all that type of stuff. I mean, there's plenty of people like that in the, in the mainstream watch industry. And God right? bless them. God yeah, bless exactly. them. I mean, if that's, if that's who they are, fantastic. And they're trying to sell an image, but I mean, it's not necessarily what the image of, of everybody wants when they're consuming uh, products in this industry. Right. And, and kind of right. going into that, like the, the brands that you carry, um, and, and you've touched on a couple already, like Alsta and, and Boulder, for example, like you, you seem to specialize primarily in like uh, tool micro brand watches, like really like kind of the rough and tumble tough watches that, you know, real people will wear to do real things. in. Is that, is that correct? Yeah. You know, it's like anything else, right? Like you, I always felt like um, I'd be much more successful at selling things I love and I'm passionate mm -hmm. about. Um, I have a very good friend of mine who sells like 
advert online advertising and he does he probably makes 10 times more money than i make mm-hmm. but i can never do that right like i can't get passionate about you putting an ad in and on my on my website it's just not me and i think a lot of what you see on watch gauge if not all of it is something that i personally like for for good reason right like mm-hmm. there have been brands i've looked at or have approached me about becoming a retailer and I'm like, well, gee, you know, I love the brand. I love the idea. But to be honest with you, I wouldn't wear that if, if, if I spent my own money on it. I w- it's not something I would wear, um, which probably doesn't serve me the best sometimes because there's probably great brands out there that I should be carrying that would sell very well. Um, I just have a hard time, you know, being passionate about something that I, you know, or at least pretending to be passionate about something I don't love. Mm-hmm. And um, so I end up getting more attracted to the dive watches, to the tool watches, um, you know, I'm, I'm a scuba diver myself, or at least have recently become one in the last couple of years. And I, I actually dive with all the, you know, most of the brands I carry. And, and I'm, when I leave here again, I'm not, I'm not going to a fine dinner in a suit. It's just not me. So I think a lot of what you see on Watchgate is sort of my personality. Um, and I point over here cause my other screens here, I like, you guys can actually see it. Um, but, um, you know, and then, and then you look at something like the electricians, right? Like it, it's a really funky, odd brand and mm-hmm. it doesn't, it doesn't sing to everybody, but there's something about it to me that is just very cool. So I could see myself buying one of those and wearing one of those. So that's why I carry that brand. Um, I do carry a couple brands that aren't micro brands, right? I think everybody in the world should own a G-Shock. So mm-hmm. I own, I carry G-Shock. Um, I mean, I've sold watches to guys for hundred grand who were buying it with a G-Shock on their wrist. Everybody I know who's, who's into million-dollar watches or $50 watches, everybody has a G-Shock. So mm-hmm. um, Zodiac isn't technically technically a micro brand. Mm-hmm. Um, long story behind that brand is I almost ended up running that brand about five years ago. Mm. Um, and I love that brand. I've always loved that brand. So, you know, for me to be able to now be a, a, an authorized retailer of, of Zodiac is really cool to me. You know, my biggest issue is they sell out and – then I'm sold out for two months until the next run comes. Uh, and that's not the worst thing in the world. Mm-hmm. It's a good, good problem to have. That's a bit of a champagne problem, I suppose. It is. It really is. It's real. What's, uh, so as part of the appeal of the brands that you carry, not only that the, the products themselves appeal to you, but also probably the people behind the specific brands that you're interacting oh, with and dealing with. Equally, if not more important. Um, mm-hmm. I've actually carried brands in the past that I happen to love the watches. And stop, stop doing business with them because I didn't particularly like the people involved. Mm-hmm. Uh, certainly will not name any names, but mm-hmm. there, there's, you know, and I don't, I usually, I could tell you on, on, I can't count on one hand how many people I've had real issues with in the last 30 years. I really can't. Um, but, you know, there, there are, there are brands like I, that I loved as a, as a watch and um, just didn't love the folks behind it and just said, you know what, it's not, it's not worth me compromising my, uh, you know, uh, I guess my own mental well-being and having to deal with these people, some of these people. So, you know, yeah, but, and, you know, other brands, look, you know, Chris, Chris Vale from NTH has become literally one of my best friends. I mean, uh, and he, he might tell a different story, but, uh, no, he's, he's, we talk almost daily. We, we work very well together and I think we're genuinely good friends and, uh, you know, and I love NTH, don't get me wrong. I mean, mm-hmm. I love the brand, but that certainly helps with the relationship of buying and selling as well as me wanting to work with them, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know? 
It definitely makes a difference when you can kind of team up with other like-minded people and, and bring a, a better product together out to the community. Right. Oh, and, totally. And then, you know, in, in, in respect with Chris, as well as Angus from Alsta, you know, we work very closely together. I mean, to the point where they've helped me with things I have or questions I have, or things that, you know, some, some advice that even they're not involved. It's not, doesn't involve their brand and vice versa. You know, like uh, we share ideas. We, we say, Hey, you know, I was thinking about, you know, I've called them and said, you know, I think I was thinking about, you know, your next release, maybe we should do this sort of promotion and this, that, and the other. I mean, not that, that does benefit watch gauge and me, but you know, it's just what we do. It's very collaborative. And Mm -hmm. it's funny because I've collaborated with brands. I don't carry just because I like the people and, you know, want to see them succeed. And, you know, there's, I, I hate saying this because I feel like we hear it a lot in the microbrand community, but I think that's because it's true is a rising tide raises all ships, right? Mm-hmm. Like when, you know, it doesn't help anybody trying to be a standalone, you know, uh, everybody just benefits when everybody works together. And, and I, I wholeheartedly believe that, you know, and also, also big, big, I'm a big believer in karma. You know, you do the right thing by people and eventually it comes back. What's very interesting. Two things with that is obviously like, first of all, um, pretty much everyone in the watch industry I've spoken to has kind of, or in the, in the micro brand watch industry I've spoken to has alluded to essentially, yeah, there's almost this open door policy where you can ask anybody and they'll do their best to help you regardless of what their own sort of vested interest is, is in it. Or, or most people will go out of their way to help you. And then, and then also that exactly that, that line you just said with the rising tide, raising all ships, you know, that, that I've heard that also from every single one of those people too. So that's almost like the official slogan of the uh, micro brand world. That's why I say I hate saying it because I feel like it's overused, but it's it, it's because it's very true, right? Like, mm. you know, it's it's just it is very very true. And then you know, it's funny because if somebody is a bad person or if somebody screws somebody, it also uh, it, it it's that's like the downside if you're a bad guy in the industry, right? You can't get away with much mm. if you're not a good person and, mm. and willing to help people out. Like, mm. if so, if one person does something bad. It's uh, you know, that news spreads 10 times faster than if you did something good. So, mm-hmm. so the bad people in the industry kind of get weeded out pretty quickly, you know, mm-hmm. um, and it's unfortunate for those people. But, you know, the truth of the matter is, like, if somebody called me and said, hey, I want to do business with you, you know, obviously, I research the watches, I might like the look of them. But I'll also call a couple of friends and say, hey, do you know, you know, Joe Smith over at XYZ brand? And I get the input from my friends about, you know, this guy's a good guy and he's, you know, he's helpful and he, he's got a good brand and so on and so forth. But I've also heard people say, dude, stay away from those people, you know? And, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's, it's for, for the good folks in the industry, that's a good thing as well, that, that the bad people don't stick around for long. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. It's a good way to kind of keep the uh, community going in the right direction when everyone's sort of very like-minded in that sense, yeah, that, uh, right. that, homo- that homogenous sense of community and purpose really makes a big difference in kind of, you know, developing the best products and the best brands for, for people for sure. Um, So does, does uh, watch cage have a brick and mortar store, like a showroom? No. So um, like I said, my office is about a half mile from my house Um, actually on main street. Like, so main street, my business, my, my office faces this way, Mm -hmm. right? My main street is this way. So I'm, my building is on main street, but I'm set back. My office is technically a warehouse, um, so I'm not allowed to have retail. Um, that being said, I've hosted clients here plenty of times. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, somebody might 
like I'm about an hour east of Manhattan, right? So somebody might message me and say, hey, you know, I'm in Forest Hill, Queens, you know, and uh, I'd love to come out and take a look at some of these watches in person. I'm like, great, let's pick a day and time. And so I don't have any issue with people coming in, uh, mm. but I don't, I don't have like a showroom. And, and believe it or not, I was thinking about getting like, so the village I live in is really a cool, small walking village, right? Like on the weekends, it's packed with people walking around, going to the chocolate shop and this and that, you know, like all these little cool stores. I really did think about opening a retail space there. The issue I have with that is I've really become a big fan of being an entrepreneur and I'm not tied to a schedule, which, uh, you know, sounds kind of jerky if like, I'm not rubbing it in anybody's face, but I, there are times I'll walk in the office at 11 in the morning and leave at four in the afternoon. Um, but there's also times where I come back at eight 30 and I'm here till two in the morning. So mm-hmm. like the flexibility of hours that I can work is fantastic. And if I had a brick and mortar, I'd, I'd really kind of have to be open from 10 to six or whatever it may be. And I did that for so long. I have no interest in going back to that. If I, I'd have to be successful enough where I didn't have to be tied to a meeting. Mm-hmm. I can hire three people to run the place or, mm-hmm. you know, two or three people to, to be there, you know, seven days a week. Mm-hmm. So, well, and that's, uh, and that's part of the, you know, that's part of the reward of being the entrepreneur, right? I mean, you get, oh, it's, you, you need to have, you need, there needs to be something in it for you. Right. So it's I mean, more valuable than anything else to me because, you know, I have three children. Uh, my, I have uh, 15 year old, 14 year old, and almost 12. Um, two older ones are boys. My youngest one's a daughter. The boys play very, very competitive ice hockey, which means we're traveling consistently. Mm-hmm. Um, and my daughter's in gymnastics and cheer. Mm-hmm. So I'm very, very involved. I go to all the practices, all the meets, all the games. And um, so this flexibility to me is worth a billion dollars a year right now because mm-hmm. I know that in a handful of years, they're going to be gone and off to college and stuff. And I can never get this back. So, mm-hmm. uh, I, I mean, I'll tell you, I'll tell you guys, to be honest with you, I'm making probably a third of what I used to make when I had a job. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm happier than I've ever been. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and someone who's, you know, not to get, not to kind of do the, the corny dad joke thing, but as someone who sells time pieces, your greatest commodity that you get out of it is having time for yourself. That's right? I, it really is. I mean, I couldn't, I, I, I'm like bursting because I can't even express to you how valuable that is to my, to my life right now. Mm-hmm. In five or 10 years, it may be a way different story. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe I'll need to open up that brick and mortar because I just can't, I don't know what to do with my time. Right. But um, yeah, right now I just couldn't even begin to express how, how valuable that is. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you so much for sharing that. That's, that's, you know, it's really good to get that insight into what's also important in driving you behind the brand as well. Right. Sure. Um, yeah. so, so, so what's next for watch gauge? What is, what is the direction watch gauge is moving in currently? So I've got a lot of things here that, uh, you know, in my brain, um, things I'd really enjoy doing There's, first of all, I mean, just to, to be fully, fully transparent, you know, it's bootstrapped. This company's bootstrapped. There are times I feel like I have a ton of money in the bank and no inventory and vice versa. So if, um, if given the opportunity, I would love to back projects. I would love to back brands. Um, you know, it's a whole nother episode for you, but um, I feel like Kickstarter's dead. Uh, and if it's not dead, it's dying for the watch industry. I think there's way too many projects. I think they get diluted. I think that the, I think the brand owners aren't benefiting enough from the Kickstarter projects. I would love to start up something where, you know, people who are looking to start a brand or a brand that's looking to launch a new line of watches 
I would love to be able to financially back those brands and then have some sort of business relationship afterward. Um, which is probably stupid for me to tell you because now a million people could hear it and, you know, those with a lot of money can go and do it. Um, but you know, look, it's, to me, that's a fantastic idea. And that's something I'd ultimately like to do a ton of people. I mean, I can't tell you how often I get asked, well, gee, why don't you start your own brand? And, you know, you have the following, you have the clients and it would be successful. And the issue with that is I have from a, from a design standpoint, I don't have a creative bone in my body. Um, you know, I've, I've literally brainstormed and put it down on paper. And, you know, if I were to design a watch, it would be an exact replica of a 50 fathoms or something silly like that. And we don't need any more of those. Right. Um, so I think starting a brand is really kind of out of the question, unless I partner with somebody who's a great designer. Um, and then, you know, I'm always on the hunt for new brands. I really am. I mean, I have a call at, uh, in, in about an hour and 15 minutes with a new brand. Not, not new brand, but a brand that would be new to Watch Gauge. Um, I just started. I just dropped a video about a week ago, not even a week ago, on a brand I'm working with. It's a DIY watch kit, meaning they hmm. send you the watch in parts, and you actually assemble your own watch. And um, so I'm always on the hunt for what's really different, new, and cool and uh, that's, that's really where, where watch gauge is at at the moment. I think, I think, you know, big idea stuff. I'd love to be, I'd love to be some sort of angel backer for, for brands themselves and, and watch projects themselves. Mm -hmm. um, but I just don't have the capital to do it at the moment. Fair enough. That sounds like a great way for you to kind of have your own input on what is being produced in the watch industry and also give back to people who are trying to do good things in the watch industry. And that kind of lends back to what you were talking about before with the people you work with, you want to find good people and you want to support the right, right people to continue to help it to move in the right direction. Right. Absolutely. You know, uh, John, it was fantastic talking with you today. I, I really appreciate you taking the time to share your experience, to share Absolutely. your insight, to um, let us know what watch gauge is all about and, and show us the, the personality behind it and your motivations behind it. Right. I mean, you're an incredibly genuine guy with incredibly uh, noble and, and genuine motivations behind your brand. And um, I, I really think that uh, if people aren't already this, you will definitely continue to be a brand that people will flock to. And, well, I appreciate that. And, I really do. And I hope, I hope you're right. And uh, you know, I, I appreciate the time. I'm sorry that we have to, uh, that. I, I left you a little short on time, right? We had some, uh, we had some scheduling issues on my end today. So sorry about that. Hey, you know, uh, if people knew how much crap we had to go through to make this episode happen over the last couple of weeks. <laughs> it's they, true, right? It's it was, true. It's, they'll they'll it be was, happy uh, that we have what we have. So. You know, I, I just to tell everybody I had, to, we were supposed to get on and record and I had to run out. It was not an emergency, but I had to go. And you said to me, you're like, I think this episode's doomed, right? Like it's, yeah. it's cursed. So I'm driving back here to get to this episode. I said, I know I'm going to get into a car wreck right now. Like, I know it just because this episode's cursed. But yeah, we finally made it happen. I'm super glad. I'm <laughs> super glad. I know. And then like a week ago, we were going to, or two weeks ago, or a week ago, we were going to shoot this episode. And then yep. like half an hour, an hour before we were about to go, someone hit the, the, the uh, internet box and wiped out the entire internet for all of Southwest uh, of my city. Canada. So well, <laughs> not Southwest. Yeah. All of Canada. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. No. Was, so I'm, I'm super glad we were making, you know, able to make it happen. And, mm -hmm. uh, and I love what you're doing, man. It's just fun. This, to me, this is like 
probably the funnest thing I do, you know, like this sort of interaction, right. But especially this year when not being able to go to events and parties and, you know, like watch events and uh, worn and wound or whatever. So, so mm. doing this sort of stuff is really, it, it really is the joy of what I do. That's really cool. And, I, and that's, and I love this so much as well. It's great to get to know the, the names and the faces and chat with people and trying to just, you know, get myself out there and get the show out there, but also make these connections with all these cool people in the industry. You know, it's a great way to, to just get to meet the right people really quickly Absolutely. before we, uh, before we sign off here, how can people get in touch with you or, or in touch with your, with uh, watch gauge? What's the best so, way? Sure. Uh, so watchgauge.com naturally is the website. Uh, my email is super simple. John at watchgauge.com is J O H N uh instagram uh is watch gauge facebook is watch gauge uh and then the watch gauge youtube channel it's it's you know like i said i've always been very anti-social media unfortunately you know, or oddly now my living is based on social media so it's kind of ironical right um but yeah uh, and i'm very accessible uh people people often you know are surprised that i'm i'm happy to get on the phone and you know, answer questions and talk about watches and things like that. So, uh, mm -hmm. yeah, that's, that's where you can find me and don't be shy. Perfect. Absolutely. Everyone listening, definitely go and check them out. And for myself, if anyone wants to get in touch with me about being on the show, give feedback, comments, anything like that, you can send me an email at RicosWatchesPodcast at gmail.com. Likewise, you can find me on Instagram at RicosWatchesPodcast or on YouTube under the RicosWatchesPodcast YouTube channel. Thank you very much, John. It was fantastic chatting with you today. Likewise, Eric. Thank you so much. I love what you're doing. Keep up the good work. Thank you very much. And signing off.